Hey, Rob. Hey, Caleb. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. You are not Mike either. Uh, <laughs> Mike, not. Is still, Mike is still uh, out of the country. So uh, uh, Rob Maurer from the Tesla Daily Podcast. I've been listening to your show since it started. Um, and Rob puts on a really great uh, between five and 10 minute usually podcast every <laughs> single day, which is crazy that you do that every day. It is. I agree. Uh, sort of summing up the the important stories for Tesla, and you, you bring more of a financial analyst type uh, approach. Um, so I thought tonight might be really great to have you on, since we're talking about one of our favorite uh, topics: uh, <laughs> quarterly earnings calls yeah. and dissecting those. So um, anything I missed? How did you get into Tesla? What's your relationship with with uh, Tesla and the vehicles and the company? Yeah, for sure. So I've actually been interested in Tesla for about five years now. Um, as you mentioned, I am an investor in the stock, so that's my primary interest, I guess, um, mm -hmm. or at least, um, kind of how I'm different than, I guess, the other kind of podcasts out there. Um, but I started investing back in 2013 and started following the company more closely, learning more about it. And as I started to learn more, I actually became a lot more interested in the Tesla mission and kind of all the cool things that they were doing to advance the advent of sustainable transportation. So <clears throat> over time, I just kind of became more and more interested started reading more about um, the company, about Elon Musk, and found myself spending a lot of time on it, just super interested in the company. So um, kind of evolved from there. Cool. And then uh, wouldn't be at the Tesla show without asking, what are you drinking? Yeah. So I am drinking uh, whiskey on the rocks. So not a cocktail tonight for me, but um, I'm drinking a local whiskey from the Great Lakes Distillery, uh, nice. Kinnick Kinnick Whiskey. So is it smoky? Is it more peaty? Is it just sort of it's, smoother? It's pretty smoky, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. How about tonight, you? I, oh, yeah. Tonight I am having a Negroni. So classic gin, uh, Campari, and a sweet vermouth. So I think I've had this once or twice. We have a spreadsheet. Um, ben Sullins over at Teslanomics did some uh, data analysis on the drinks we drink. <laughs> and it's, I think it's in our top five between the two of us. So. I haven't seen that. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. He, he tweeted that out a little while ago. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so as I mentioned at the top, uh, today is uh, sort of fun because we get to dissect the Q3 2017 earnings. And I would say this is one of the most newsworthy ones in the past year and a half, mm -hmm. two years. Would you agree? I think that normally the analysts ask pretty, pretty bad questions or generally not the best questions. And I thought they actually did a really good job this time with the questions that they asked. So I thought that that gave us a lot of insight that normally we don't tend to get on these calls. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, Elon had uh, he his his remarks were he, he went into quite a lot of preamble. Um, sometimes he sort of does yeah. some shorter stuff, um, and they really wanted to sort of explain what was going on. And then yeah, the analysts had a lot of a lot of pretty intense questions. There weren't as many flyers like from Adam, Adam Jonas asking about you know. <laughs> AI and Mars and all that. So, right. so let's, I think for the structure for this, because I think model three will probably dominate the majority of the conversation to get out some of the sm smaller bits. First, we'll start with sort of the overarching numbers and where those compare to previous, uh, bits. Then we'll sort of jump through, uh, some of the smaller business units like the energy and solar talk through SNX a little bit on sales and supercharging and service autopilot, and then we'll dig into Model 3, if that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. So the overall numbers, they started in both the investor letter and the call with this uh, sort of new milestone of surpassing 250,000 vehicles delivered since inception and calling out an even more interesting number to them of 
basically going from 2,500 vehicles or so about delivered um, uh, five years ago to now being about 250,000. And uh, Elon loving, uh, you know, numbers divisible by 10, uh, <laughs> saying it was 100 times larger than they were five years ago, the fleet overall. And then saying in 10 years, or sorry, in five more years, he thinks it could be another 10x, which would sort of impute a 2.5 million vehicle fleet. So do you think this was like a meaningful number or did you, did you find it interesting or was it just sort of, why do you think they added that? I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, on the milestone, I definitely think that that's a significant number. I think people always, you know, kind of um, get on Tesla for missing their production targets and things like that and being late on their deadlines. Um, but over time they tend to accomplish pretty amazing things. Right. So I think zooming out, which is what they're doing here and saying, look, five years ago, we, we had 200 or 2,500 vehicles on the road. And now we're sitting here at a quarter million just in five years. And then they're trying to say, think about where we're going to be in five years from now. We've grown hundred X over the last five years. Um, and then Elon talked a little bit in the call about a little more detail on this and said, people that are projecting Tesla into the future, um, don't do a good job of extrapolating the growth rate. So where they are now is not a good indicator of where they're going to be. And in in five years, it's going to look very different. And that analysts should think about that before they make pretty pessimistic um, projections. So I think he's kind of being defensive in the wake of kind of this Model 3 production hiccup that we're currently experiencing and trying to, again, zoom people out and just provide that that context that over time they are making great progress. Right, exactly. Because I think, I think um, you know, when I saw that number, I was like, oh, yeah, 250000 that's pretty good. But then when he made the point that, you know, Model S is really just five years old, uh, that all of Model S and all of Model X history has happened in that five-year period, that that's not, especially in the arc of a automotive business, very long. That's half of a program's life. And right. so, you know, in one half of a revision of a Honda Civic or a Toyota Camry, they have gone from being a super, super niche high-end sports car for Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) and uh, George Clooney uh, to something that now is sort of the de facto electric vehicle company uh, and everyone has to, you know, think about, especially in the context of Model 3. And so, I do think that was helpful. I don't think it really mattered to uh, the people who were on the call. Not not really many <laughs> people referenced it, but I yeah. do think uh, it, it's helpful to think about. And certainly, uh, you know, we've covered SpaceX tangentially, but Elon certainly likes to remind people that their expectations of him and the companies he works on oftentimes are, uh, as you said, quite underestimating uh, where they're going to end up. So it sort of was like a dropping the gauntlet that he certainly has a ton of confidence about where they're going to get to. Uh, mm-hmm. he isn't shying away from, you know, to even, to even basically like, and you talked about this on your podcast or dissecting it, like even hinting that they might get anywhere close to a hundred X is like right. so ludicrous but that he even ha- ent- is entertaining that idea in his head <laughs> sort of shows the ambition that he has. And it's not bounded by most people's reality, um, which is, you know, I think why he's so enigmatic and interesting to follow. For um, sure. So, yeah, so that was really interesting because he said it could be in five years, an order of magnitude higher. And then he kind of paused for a second. And he was like, it could actually even be approaching two orders of magnitude, which would be that 100x. Right, which would, would be 25 million. It would be 25 million vehicles in the fleet in five years. And I think that's what Adam Jonas was projecting for like 2030 or 2040. Yeah. 
And then Elon's saying, hey, we could be doing that in like 2023. So I don't think they're going to, to the meaningfulness of that part of the conversation, I don't think they're going to get to 25 million by any means at that point in time. Um, but I, I do think, I haven't run through the math on this, but I do think 25, 2.5 million in that span of time is probably pretty possible. Yeah, I did a quick calculation. So if you do the 100K run rate for SNX for five more years, that gets you another half a million vehicles. Um, and then that gets you to a total of 750,000 vehicles in the fleet. So then you've got 1.75 million to make up for the remainder, which between the three and Y would lead to 350,000 per year from now on, which is not outside the bounds of what they're talking about. Um, You know, between half a million and a million vehicles per year uh, of, of three and Y. So I do think that is like within the realm of their current projections, it's not some crazy Elon dropping it on the management team in the room kind of (laughs) thing. Um, So in terms of what they did this quarter, uh, they did deliver a record number of SNX and uh, 25,915 vehicles um, and then 222 Model 3s. So uh, that two extra came from sort of uh, the final paperwork coming in, and they're always mentioning a couple percentage <laughs> point might fluctuate. So yep. two more got counted. So all we those articles. It. We made the production target. No, yes, exa- no exactly. They just got a nice uh, even number there. Um, so for a total of 26,137 deliveries, um, which is a record, but uh, comparative to last year is only 4.5% growth. And I think this is one area where um people who will attack tesla for sort of continually being unprofitable will attack is saying well s and x are not uh growing very much and they kind of have been at this 25,000 ish per quarter 23,000 ish per quarter level like what are they doing they say they have unlimited demand why aren't they scaling up to 30,000 or 40,000 vehicles mm-hmm. per quarter what what would what's what does Tesla say about that, and what is your interpretation of the yeah. validity of their yeah. response to that? Claim? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a super fair question because if you look at kind of the valuation of Tesla, you know their market cap now after earnings is right around fifty billion dollars, right? And their revenue run rate, they did about three billion dollars in revenue this quarter, so annually that's about twelve billion. So they're trading a little bit a little bit over four x sales right now, and if you look at the other automakers, so Ford, GM, things like that. They're trading at about half of revenue. So their market cap, say it's fifty billion, that would imply that their revenue was a hundred billion. So point five Tesla's versus valuation, four. Yeah. right? So Tesla's valuation is essentially like eight times what other automakers are. So it's a, it's definitely a fair question to have, um, especially when you see a growth number like four and a half percent. But the important thing with Tesla is that the growth is very lumpy. Um, so the quarters, and Elon talks about this a lot, the quarterly boundaries are not necessarily the best way to look at those those growth percentages because. Um, over the year, if we look at like the entirety of 2017, they're projecting that they're going to do Model S and X deliveries of 100,000 versus last year we did 76,000. So I think that that growth rate is about 30% annually. So even though it's 4%, percent 4.5% this quarter, um, over the entire year, it's going to grow 30%. And that's just for Model S and Model X. And then including anything that we grow from Model 3 deliveries in Q4 would add on to that growth rate. And then looking at 2018, we should see that growth rate accelerate pretty substantially based on Model 3 finally ramping up. So even at the year boundaries, there's still some lumpiness to, to kind of that, that growth rate. Yeah, and one of the things too, I totally agree. And one of the things also is that we'll get to with X is that um, 
SNX is sort of scaled for this level of production of around 100,000 vehicles per year. And it just isn't a category where it has that much total population. I mean, right. the, super, the, the large luxury vehicle market isn't the same size as the uh, compact luxury sedan that the Model 3 will be going into. And so even if they could add incremental production capacity there, it's really not the highest leveraged area to be investing in when you have Model 3 and then Model Y coming down the pike. And so it isn't really intended to be this thing where they're trying to optimize it to get an incremental 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 vehicles per quarter. It's just sort of what the sustaining... Uh, revenue and research and development budget has been to get them to three and why and right. the truck and things. And so I think a lot of the people who will attack Tesla for saying, oh, they lose money on every vehicle, sort of forget that it's it's a funding source. It isn't intended to be the end all. And if you were to make BMW or Mercedes only sell their large luxury sedans, they would probably drop those before they drop their compact sedans right so for sure it's and it's that's not intended to yeah is that just the amount of demand for one hundred thousand plus dollar vehicles is certainly limited um so model three or model s sorry has a market share of like 33 percent of large luxury sedans so there's a point where you just can't you can't sell anymore and i don't think tesla's quite there yet but their supply was built for this hundred thousand vehicles per year level yep. and to your point on capex and just the return on investment that you would get Maybe they could make that go up to like 150,000. And I think there's probably maybe some some room still for Model X to grow because that is a slightly larger category. Um, but they just have more things that they could invest in right now that are going to give them a better return, such as Model 3, and then further um, advancement of Model Y and bringing that online. And in the long run, they'd be fine if they cannibalized it with Model 3 and Y. And they expected that was actually going to happen. And they've kind of been pleasantly surprised that it hasn't. And they seem to have been quite happy that they're actually going to do pretty well on SNX uh, in the next quarter and potentially the quarters after uh, due to some of these delays. And from my point of view, it's really they don't want to make SNX the biggest cars. They would much rather have Model 3 be everything if they could, because Mm -hmm. as we're going to get to, the profit margin on them will be almost equivalent uh, if they actually succeed. And so they really don't care. Um, And uh, it's sort of as what's been happening on SpaceX, basically like, well, we'll just sunset this product eventually. I don't think they will because there is some benefit in having a higher luxury vehicle where they can put in super new tech and have both low volume and all that. But I, I think that it, it, people assume they're trying to maximize SNX, and I don't think that's actually the case. The company does not seem to be, and the management doesn't seem to be operating under the mode of we're trying to eke out every last sale from SNX, and yeah. quite the opposite. And so it's like a happy funding source, but it's not, it's not the goal. Um, so right. I think that's like fine. Um, yeah, I would totally agree on that. And I think that was one of the best pieces of news in this quarterly earnings report was just that... Um, in every single market that Tesla is in, so Asia, Europe, and the United States, they said that they had net order increases for Model S and X um, in total. So that's really encouraging because they definitely did have some fear that Model 3 would be cannibalizing some of that demand. But what instead seems to be happening is that um, with, all the pub- the pub- <laughs> with all of the publicity that Model 3 has gotten, um, that has just increased awareness of Model S and Model X and has actually stimulated the demand rather than cannibalizing it, which they're I can I can see that they're very happy with that. 
Yeah, and and almost to the point where they mentioned they sort of over rotated on trying to increase the value in the SNX by uh, doing mm-hmm. the one second reduction in the uh, zero to sixty acceleration, uh, bundling the premium options, and adding a bit more content, as it's called in the automotive world, uh, into the Model X, <laughs> right. um, which they had a slight decrease in their gross margin on those vehicles. Um, but ultimately, that's probably okay, uh, especially because they're going to be selling those for uh, a little bit longer probably than they were expecting uh, due to these upcoming delays with Model 3. But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they had kind of record deliveries, is they kind of get to see the future for the next quarter, where like... Apple doesn't get to see the future because they sell the, the like the production time from making the phone and delivering it and selling it is super short, mm-hmm. um, like days. Um, and Tesla, as you know, has like weeks to a month before they actually take the order to delivery. And so they've got a, a large part of the order book already set for Q4. So they've kind of right. had visibility into that. So they get to talk about that on these earnings calls. Plus, they're already a month into the quarter. So they already feel pretty confident they're going to surpass uh, the number of deliveries they had this quarter um, in the next quarter, which is quite impressive, Um, especially in December where they've or this sort of December quarter where they've got Thanksgiving to deal with in the U.S. and Christmas and Hanukkah to deal with. So Mm -hmm. and um, certainly more weather, weather, shipping and things like that. Totally. So um, moving on to revenue. Two point nine eight billion, so call it three billion for the quarter. Um, so as you said, sort of on a twelve billion run rate um, compared to two point two nine billion last um, last last quarter, same time last year. Um, Steam's, I mean, it, it's growing um, even on <laughs> relatively small increase in vehicles. So energy's coming online. Plus, Solar City now is a part of that. Where last year, this quarter it wasn't. Um, but I, I don't think anyone was super expecting any blowout. Uh, compared to the analysts that I looked at, it looked like they kind of beat a teeny bit on revenue. So mm-hmm. no major challenges there. Um, no, and I don't think there usually is. I mean, Tesla Energy is really the question because we get a pretty good idea of what the revenue is going to be when we get the quarterly delivery reports right. right at the end of the quarter. So that allows analysts to have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be. So unless there's any big surprise from Tesla Energy, which hopefully in one of these quarters we may end up getting one of those. I still right. kind of am waiting for it. It's still scaling, Rob. It's still scaling. Still still growing. So, um, and it did grow this quarter, which is good. Um, But yeah, until we get something like that, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of business as usual um, with the revenue line. And then on the income side, they had a loss of $619 million um, compared to a profit of $21 million last year at the same quarter. So um, (laughs) that profit was sort of unusual last year. they, I think that that might have been that that email he had sent out saying they were so close to a profit they were really trying hard and that email that sort of leaked. But um, I, th- I think you're right on that. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think yeah, you're right. I, I think that was the only one that, that in the recent memory since like 2012 where they've had a profit. So right. the tough compare. Not really. It, it's not really um, surprising. Analysts were expecting it, so it's not like it came out of the blue. Um, and and the more interesting thing was the cash flow because the um, accounting income loss is not as important as Tesla's cash balance. So mm-hmm. from a cash flow point of view, they had 1.4 billion net cash out. Um, and interestingly, 300 million of that was from operating activities. So like the day-to-day business and selling the vehicles. Um, and that was only a hundred, that was 50% more than the quarter before. So 
they definitely expanded quite a lot in the past quarter in preparation for Model 3. Um, so that's like a legitimate concern. They spent an extra $100 million, lost an extra $100 million in cash due to that. But the majority of that was due to $1.1 billion in CapEx. So that's buying the robots, building out any new production lines at the Gigafactory, putting up new walls at the Gigafactory, like pretty much everything that is going to be permanent that is going to help build multiple products you can think of as CapEx. Right. And uh, so they did a billion, 1.1 billion in that. And they did a billion last year, or sorry, last quarter in that as well. And they expect to do another billion in Q4. So there's been, I mean, they'll, they'll have spent around three, three and a half billion on Model 3, essentially. Um, but that's not unusual, is it? Like that's kind of required to do a, a big vehicle program. Right. So like year to date, um, they've spent $3.2 billion or they've had negative cash flow of $3.2 billion. Right. Negative 2.7 of that, 2.6 actually is from CapEx. And to me, that's, that's money that's being spent with a positive return on investment in the future. So I actually don't mind seeing those, those high CapEx numbers. Um, every quarterly earnings call, some analysts ask about the CapEx because it's very important to their financial models. Um, and they've guided for Q4 that it should be kind of around this 1.1 billion. I think they guided 1 billion yep. um, in CapEx for Q4. So we're going to continue to see that heavy CapEx. And while Tesla's still a relatively small um, business from a revenue perspective, obviously 12 billion is a lot, but relative to a GM or a Ford, it's still relatively small. So their revenues and their profits don't necessarily make up for that level of CapEx um, while they're in this aggressive expansion stage. And that's, that's again, why Tesla has a higher multiple is because they have all the spending in place um, to fund this growth that they um, are pretty certain that they can get, especially with all of the, the reservations that they have for Model 3. Uh, it really cements the, the reason for making these investments. Right. And I think one of the things that always annoys me when I see these articles from Seeking Alpha of the, of the people who, when you scroll to the bottom, you can quickly see they are short the stock. So right. I always do that first. Um, Which I'm long the stock. So that's disclaimer there too. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what's interesting is they'll always attack sort of the overall spending and the cash burn and not uh, be sort of intellectually honest about there are costs that you have when you're you know producing and selling SNX. And then there are costs that you are incurring ahead of being able to produce Model 3. And the costs incurred to produce Model 3 in the future, they have to build production for that. It's not like they're going to do it on the Model S and X and no manufacturer really would expect that. And so it's kind of crazy because they could not have spent any of that money and they would have been profitable. So they hadn't done any of any of the service center expansion or expansion in preparation for the fleet and and like you know didn't have as big a staff as they are expecting to have for model 3. Right. They could be a profitable niche automaker, but that it, that then they would be stopped. They wouldn't be able to produce the model 3. So I think it's really important for people to remember that like capital expenditures as you said are investments in being able to then produce hundreds of billions of dollars over the lifetime of those investments of revenue. And so from, and they, they've talked about this in the past, that like from a net present value of that money spent, it's sort of obvious that you would spend it. Like it's right. just so clear you need to build it. And the problem is they just can't spend it fast enough on the right things. Right. If they could, they would. And we'll get into that. There were some questions about it. But yeah. <laughs> um, the CapEx is like, uh, actually relatively tame compared to what they were saying a couple quarters ago. Um, 
Like I think when Jason Wheeler was still the CFO, they were like 1.5 to 2 billion a quarter was sort of what they thought potentially this would be. And they kind of right. come in a little under that. So that's fine. And cash on hand, they have over 3.5 billion cash on hand. So yeah, um, that actually went up this quarter from I think 3 billion last quarter. So they are, they're finding a way to gain cash. They did that through issuing debt um, to the tune of $1.8 billion in this quarter. So that's why the cash on hand went up. Um, But they're they're able to um, get that debt because they have these growth prospects and they have this um, positive return on investment projects that they can expect. So yeah, and that, that that is pretty long. What was it? It's like in the 2020 time, uh, 2025 is when it's due and it's a really low interest rate of debt. It's 5%, 5.3%. Um, yeah, for year, corporate so. debt, that's pretty crazy. Right. So, um, f- what is your assessment of their like financial health? Like, are you red alert? Like, they are going to go out of business next quarter? Are you pretty happy with how they're setting up their capital structure and investment, sort of relative to the risk? Yeah. W- what's your What's your take? So, um, I mean, disclaimer: I'm no financial expert. I kind of do this, you know. This is a part time job for me, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I think CapEx was where it was guided to be. Earnings per share were definitely lower than what the street was expecting. I think gap earnings per share were expected to be about $2 and $2.90. We came in at negative $3.70. So from a profit. What was the, yeah, what was, what was the miss there? What was yeah, the delta? I was looking through that a little bit. Um, I think one of the big reasons is that they didn't sell any ZEV credits. So zero emission vehicle credits. Right. Uh, last quarter, they sold $100 million of ZEV credits, and that goes straight to the bottom line, straight to earnings per share. So that if they would have done similar um, ZEV credit sales this quarter, that would have been like $0.60 cents per share, I think. And then they also had a one-time expense due to some a court case that they settled from SolarCity, um, which was $30 million. So that would have been another $0.17 cents or so. Um, so adding those back in, they would have been right around where the street had estimated. So I don't think there's any huge concern with that with that miss on the EPS line, at least from me. Um, yep. And I'm I'm definitely a, a long term type of investor, so my time horizon is five to ten years out in the future. So I don't I don't necessarily care quarter to quarter, kind of you know how how the finances are coming in, as long as Tesla is appearing to manage them well. Um, and from from what I see here, you know their capex is in line. SGNA was up a little bit more than I was hoping it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 21.9% of sales this quarter versus 19.3 last quarter and actually 14.7 um, in the, the comparable quarter last year. So I, I don't know really how to dig into that more, but um, it's something that I'm going to keep my eye on because as you grow revenue, you really want to keep your selling general and administrative costs similar over time so that you can create more operating leverage and create more bottom line profit. So that's something I'm going to keep my eye on. But as far as how this quarter went, you know, I was fine with it. Right. Cause the Zeb credits are, I think this year, this quarter, they did like 1 million or something like super tiny. So those are one time. 575,000. Very, very small. Like just pure profit. Um, so those are great when they happen, but are kind of one-time events and not operational. Um, they don't really speak to the health of Tesla's business. They don't really need to rely on them and they won't. Uh, and then yeah, obviously like court case settlements are one-time negative expenses, but not, uh, durable long-term things to worry about. So yeah. So, uh, jumping into the energy business, it's a small business still, it's only 300 million. Um, so still relatively small. I guess the biggest silver lining that I saw was that the the margin, the gross margin on energy blended, at least the way they're accounting for it is was 25.3%, um, 
which is higher than I think a lot of people were expecting, especially because solar has been uh, such a terrible margin business for Solar City uh, because of the lease accounting. And Tesla has just done a really good job of uh, prioritizing people buying the panels now instead of leasing them, which means just like the vehicles, they get all the cash up front and then some other company either your home equity line or uh, some other lender is uh, sending the cash over to Tesla. So that's been positive. They didn't deploy as much solar as they had previously. They sort of attributed that to uh, not doing as much industrial or business, which doesn't have as good a margin as the residential. Um, And on the solar roof, they've sort of said, well, we've done some pilot (laughs) deployments and Elon's like, Oh, I have it on my roof. And JB, you have it on your roof. Yeah. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's working great. It's like, okay, (laughs) one or two prototype roofs is great, but, uh, that's not the same thing. And their current belief, which I guess I believe it, but I was just like, was, well, um, for a 30 year roof, it takes more than six months to validate that it's going to be able to sort of withstand that durability. Sort of like to do durability testing, uh, it takes longer than six months for a 30-year sort of effective, um, like, tested right. life. And I was like, th- I wonder, have you not hired people? Like, how many shingle company? like, how many shingles are released every year that are, like, new or redesigned? Like, how many people have you hired from that industry to, like, really figure this out? Because it just seems... It just seems like it's not going very fast. <laughs> like, that was in the summertime or springtime they unveiled it. So... I just feel like one challenge of pulling in solar into Tesla's like Elon's at the Gigafactory sleeping on the roof, figuring out this module problem. And, you know, the Solar City guys are like, hey, we've got these roof panels. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> I am focused on Model 3. Like, it just doesn't seem like it's getting nearly the amount of tension it would if it was someone's only focus. Yeah. But, you know, they say next year it will actually move to the or the end of this year, it'll move to the Buffalo Gigafactory and start production but um it just it just it gets almost it got one question on the conference call it's just it's such a strange thing to me even though it makes sense strategically for them to have it and i do think the solar roof could be a really big product it's just it doesn't seem to be anywhere close to yeah getting to its potential. In my mind, it's a, it's a 2019 type of type of product. I know that they say they're going to, you know, in the Gigafactory yeah. 2, they're going to have production starting to ramp up at the end of this year into early next year. Um, but as we've seen with, with Model 3, production doesn't always ramp up smoothly. So in my mind, it's a 2019 um, sort of product. Yeah. So for anyone who has reservations for that or has, uh, you know, blue tarps on the roof waiting for solar roof, you should you <laughs> should put shingles. a traditional yeah. roof on. Get some shingles. Um, on the battery side, interestingly, they they revealed that they are 80 um, percent done with the South Australia project. Um, so we hadn't we had seen they'd done that event. Uh, Elon was down there and, you know, showed some promo videos and whatnot, but we weren't sure how far along they were. So they, they mentioned they were 80% through that project. They're going to hit the 100-day deadline, so Elon won't be out of pocket uh, for that, that cost. And, um, you know, they're up 138% year-over-year year on the battery deployments. So um, the battery side does seem to be doing better. Um, yeah, and, it does. It seems uh, like... Powerwall and PowerPack seem, doing yeah, pretty well. It seems like a while ago, like probably last year, we would have been saying the same thing about Tesla Energy, sitting here like, okay, like we've heard all these great things. Where's this, you know, multi-billion dollar business? And it seems like we're sort of almost there again. I think 
add add three months to any any timeline that Tesla kind of gives you. But I think we're I think we're close. Um, I think 2018. Hopefully, we start to see Tesla energy from the battery components actually starting to ramp up in a significant sort of way. So. I think it's it's encouraging progress. The growth rate is great. Elon has said that we should expect the growth rate there to um, continue to be higher than the automotive side. So eventually, that would mean that it will catch up to it. So I think we're starting to hopefully see progress in that direction. Yeah, and also we heard uh, from JB that and Elon that the battery production, while still smaller than the vehicle side, is doing pretty well. Uh, so at the Gigafactory, they're producing cells for uh, the storage side, which is slightly different chemistry and different lines. Uh, the modules are different. And then for the battery packs for Model 3, um, that's a separate line. And they seem pretty happy about what yeah. was happening uh, on the uh, energy side. So you know, it's a much smaller base. Um, it's clearly not getting as much resource, but um, it's probably commensurate with being only 300 million year business. But if it grows 100% next year, they'll be at 600 and then another 100% they'll be at 1.2 billion. Yeah. So, um, sorry, in the quarter, which would lead to about a four to 5 billion a year run rate. So right. which um, just to give people some bad. context on how big this market can be. I did some analysis on this. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of conversation between Puerto Rico and Tesla and kind of how Tesla could be involved in rebuilding the grid there. I did some math on it and to um, fully convert Puerto Rico and kind of the energy and power demands that they need, it's probably somewhere around a 30 to $50 billion project when we talk about battery storage and solar combined, which obviously Tesla could potentially service both of those needs. So when we look at the energy side, both from solar and storage, um, they're, they're both still likely production constrained. And the market there is huge because Puerto Rico is a pretty small island relative to all right. of the population of the world. So, yeah, <laughs> if, if we take that and say that's a thirty billion dollar project, right? It's 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 just massive. So, um, I think when when Elon thinks about that, he he's right to say that um, Tesla Energy could eventually be bigger than than the Tesla Auto side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, energy is clearly a much larger market uh, than automotive and uh, even transport at. at at large. Um, and you know, in his mind, everything eventually has to go to a sustainable energy, uh, world on an infinite time scale. Uh, the problem is, uh, whether or not that's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years in his mind, he's just running towards that as fast as humanly possible today. Um, but that doesn't mean the demand is fully there, but I do think that the, uh, consumer side for the Powerwall, the fact that Powerwall 2 seems to be so strong that people are just like clamoring to get there as delivered is really great. The fact that um, the utility side seems to be uh, doing pretty well, like I think that will certainly snowball because it's still a pretty new concept. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, just buying a new car. Like this is a pretty new even for utilities to have battery backup at this scale. So um, I think this is definitely one where you got to take the five or 10 year. Yeah, horizon absolutely. um yeah anything else on model s and x we kind of touched on most of the things they talked about um they didn't really hint at any refreshes coming or any interesting new product stuff on s and x just that oh i guess i guess the interesting one was that they they're going to divert they're going to reduce production of s and x this quarter by like 10 percent. i think they mm -hmm. said and uh they're going to still have record deliveries and so where are those record where are those other cars going to come from yeah so i mean they have two and a half billion dollars in their inventory right now not of model s and model x purely but um probably the majority of that inventory i would suppose is, is model s and model x 
So it sounds like their their intention is to reduce that inventory somewhat throughout this quarter, which I think is interesting. It's kind of it seemed like they felt like they were getting slightly overstocked, which if I go back a couple of quarters, I felt like they were saying that they were very understocked, specifically on Model right. X. So that one, I, w- I was a little bit confused by that, um, but it sounds like their intention is to lower that inventory a little bit, which, yeah, I don't, I don't want to speculate on some sort of refresh, but that would, I guess, be some sort of evidence that maybe something like that potentially could be coming. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I found, um, I'm glad they're recognizing publicly that they have too much inventory. I do think that is like a valid criticism that folks who've been poking at Tesla have been sort of like sort of uh bringing to the fore that their production has been outpacing their deliveries and like where are all these cars um that have not yet been sold Mm -hmm. and tesla sort of claims to be a custom build to order manufacturer and yet they have all this inventory piling up like is it a demand problem what's happening one thing we got clarification on on the call as well was one of the analysts sort of asked just sort of a point of clarification for Deepak, their CFO, about what happens or how, how do they account for the uh, service loaner vehicles? And um, they actually account for those as inventory mm-hmm. um, versus part of the uh, service center expense, which uh, maybe is under underplaying the cost of service if you're saying we're going to let people drive around in really nice cars <laughs> and not account for that in the service uh, line item but whatever that's in that's an in inventory um so uh yeah i think that they're they had said that they had sort of had some mixed problems like the problem one of the challenges with tesla is because every quarter they seem to make some pretty significant changes to the vehicles it decreases the value of the cars that they have in inventory pretty substantially. And they mentioned this quarter, one of the reasons their uh, gross margin was down on SNX was primarily because the mix was a little bit worse. So they had to do more discounts on their used vehicles. And certainly as uh, some folks probably are going to be looking for some deals uh, to move up their Model 3 reservation and just sort of abandon that and move to a model s or x uh, i think that's pretty good and they probably just don't need as many vehicles uh, as they as they have now so um yeah I, I think it's it's good for them to draw down that inventory and get to a more sort of sane uh, amount because they they just have a little bit too much there's like photos <laughs> people will send us photos of like wait i just found like 100 model x's in this parking lot in los angeles like what is going on i'm like Yep, that's just a holding lot for some inventory that um, has not been sold. Yeah, being in the Midwest, I definitely don't see any anything sort of like that. So that's that's interesting. I know relative to other automakers, though, Tesla doesn't actually have that much inventory. I think they're like six to eight weeks in terms of the amount of stock that they have relative yep. to the amount that they sell each week. Um, and I think other automakers are more in like the 12 to 16 type of range. So I don't think it's like a necessarily a huge problem, but but maybe could be slightly reduced a little bit. Um, but I don't think it's like out of hand right now, but it sounds like maybe in some localizations there are potentially issues like that, which is, it's interesting. Yeah. And like, and also their used business has been picking up, um, right. So they've got more and more people on leases, returning their leases, and then they refurbish those and those go through the service centers and those go through the, um, sales and service line item. And so, yeah, their used business as they mentioned as well, is like growing pretty substantially, um, which, puts a little pressure like they now have the inventory of those vehicles plus these new vehicles so when i talk about inventory they've got both right they've got the used vehicles which now are on their balance sheet and depreciating quickly and then they've got these brand new vehicles which 
uh, become obsolete if they don't sell them uh, every quarter as they release new features for SNX. So it's a little tricky for them because they don't have model years. So they've kind of, instead of once a year problem uh, of, of clearing inventory, they've got like a quarterly challenge um, if they make these changes every quarter. So, right. um, all right. So we're, we'll get to, we'll go through sales and service super quick. Um, anything stand out to you from the comments or the letter about the sales service or supercharging uh, part of the business? No, I don't think so. I think in one of the questions they had asked, an analyst had asked about, um, if they were going to continue to scale those up as they had previously talked about kind of in the Q2 earnings report. Um, and I think that they said that they would dial it back slightly in accordance with kind of the delay in model three. So trying to just time the expansion of their infrastructure with the expansion of their fleet as model three ramps up. So obviously as that ramp gets delayed, they can probably delay some of that spending as well. I think that was probably the, the only note that I had on that. Yeah, exactly. And I saw some people misconstrue that a bit that like Tesla yeah, is yep. slowing down their superchargers or Tesla, you know, CFO says they're not going to expand their service centers. And it's like, uh, <laughs> like they, they've got to coordinate both the production, the service capabilities, the supercharging capabilities. Like it is an entire system to make the Tesla ecosystem work. And, uh, they had been investing, as you saw in the SGNA and you pointed out, the SGNA almost always has to be ahead of that because you have to hire the people, like mm-hmm. hiring people and training them and building facilities and building superchargers and building out super station, um, service stations takes months and months and months. And so you have to start on that ball rolling before you actually have the vehicles. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be behind. And what's funny is six months ago, people were railing on Tesla for being so slow with service. And now... I don't know about you, but I don't hear about that as big of an issue. Yeah, no, I don't either. I think it's made actually pretty good progress, and I think their new mobile fleet is actually helping with that. It sounds like they're getting really good um, customer feedback from that and satisfactions rating. I think they said that it was approaching 100%. Right, yeah. I think previously they had said it was 99%, so we're somewhere in between 99 and 100%, which that's awesome. And it sounds like the, the wait times for service are going down. I'm sure they're not quite where Tesla wants to be, but it sounds like it's improving pretty quickly. Yeah, so I feel like uh, it sounds like they're kind of underutilized right now. That they they probably have quite a bit of service capacity waiting for Model Threes. That they were expecting to have a couple thousand more of those on the road in California, and they're not there yet. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they can slow down a teeny bit. Um, they probably won't hit their ten thousand superchargers by the end of the year target because yeah. I think they're at seven thousand now. Um, so they probably won't hit that, but. I mean, this quarter they turned on their largest ever in Shanghai, I think was at like 50 uh, plugs. So, and then they've got the Baker and Kettleman City coming at like 40. Mm-hmm. So they do have larger and larger super sta- uh, supercharger stations coming online and obviously opening more and more stores. So it's, um, it's expensive if you're running your own stores and charging infrastructure. And this is one cost item that the traditional automakers don't have due to their dealer infrastructure and the fact that mobile Exxon, you know, all those folks have the uh, infrastructure for gasoline and petrol. Yeah. So I think for the traditional auto folks are like, hmm, your SGNA looks pretty high. And Tesla's like, yeah, but you got to remember, we have to build our own stores and we also have to, uh, you know, build our own charging infrastructure. And yeah, um, they basically do it all. Like, <laughs> I feel like they've tried to go down the route of taking partners and doing things like that. And it just has never gone well for them. So they're just like, all right, we're just, we're just taking this and we're just going to do everything. 
Right. And, you know, they should be able to handle that if they can achieve 25% gross margin. But if they end up at 5 or 10%, they're going to be screwed. And I think that is a concern amongst traditional auto analysts is like, well, uh, no other industries, no other car makers really able to do this except for Porsche. So are you really going to be more like Porsche or are you going to be like everyone else? And you have all these operational problems, which tend to depress gross margin. So, you know, I I don't think it's crazy for them to be skeptical of Tesla's claims. I just think that it is, in this case, not wise because Tesla is unique and it's just hard to, you know, make a rational case for that beyond everything they've done so far has proven people wrong more often than Tesla has been wrong. Right. So, right. And same story with SpaceX too. And I think right. that's kind of the bet that you're making when you're investing in Tesla. It's, it's, it's risky for sure. And I think people are right to be skeptical of it because if they can't do that, they're going to fail. And you know, that's not going to be a good investment, obviously. Yeah. So I think people are right to be skeptical on it. Um, but if you, if you believe that they can do that, then Tesla's going to be an incredibly valuable business. Um, and once they get to that profitability and the investment becomes more safe, the money's just going to keep pouring in. Like Tesla's never going to, they're never going to want for cash to invest if they can kind of get model three up and running at that level of gross margin. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of one of these things where it's like, well, if Tesla were coming out and saying we're going to be five or 10% better than GM, people might understand it more, but they're not. And therefore it is harder to believe these kind of outlier claims as being credible. And Mm -hmm. also as we're about to hit, like they tend not to be accurate in their predictions uh, in the short <laughs> term, but they are accurate in the long term. But the market is typically much better at dealing with the short term and forgets about the long term. And so right. they constantly are behind the eight ball, as it were, each quarter. And so it's easy to spin up dust around how things aren't going great. And then you look back and you're like, wow, they've actually quite, they've accomplished quite a lot. But, but that's not what the analysts are paid to do every quarter. They're not paid to look back to what you could have done if you had invested five years ago. They, they have right. to predict what's going to happen next. And their credibility of predicting what's going to happen is not excellent. So yeah, it's understandable. On a quarterly and annual basis, it's... The track record has been troublesome. <laughs> so moving into autopilot, um, anything stand out to you about what they mentioned about autopilot? There were a couple of things for me. I'm curious if anything stood out to you. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things. Um, I guess, do you, you can start it off. You, you talk about what you want to talk about. I'll give my thoughts okay, cool. for that. Um, so I thought one thing in the letter, uh, they called out this idea that they want to build a Tesla AI team, um, which is fundamental to achieving full autonomy. They're, they sort of called out, like, that team got a lot stronger this year, that they've hired some of the world's best AI engineers and researchers. And this was sort of new, was that not only do they plan to build out this AI team to be the best in the world for automotive, but they want to be the leader across all industries. And not just on software, but on hardware as well. And this was pretty bold and didn't get much play, but we've talked about uh, the autonomy side. We've talked about AI. We've talked about neural networks. um, We've talked about Chris Latner and um, Andrew Kaparthy and a whole bunch of folks on the AI side because Mike and I are sort of more in the software world than anything. And so this, when I read this, I was like, hmm. This is not accidental, and this is not a traditional uh, investor relations 
kind of thing to put right. this in here. So, or a traditional automaker type of thing. Like you're not going to see anything like this in a Ford earnings report. Right. They're not going to say we're going to be the best in <laughs> AI across any industry. Like that just wouldn't make sense. So, right. um, that so does it make sense here then? Well, I think, I think it makes sense in the context of Elon. Like, so he has an open AI, right. Of the research nonprofit. But mm -hmm. of the commercialized AI, he, it, it sounds like he's sort of dropping the gauntlet that he wants to best, uh, you know, he's going to be competing for folks who would be thinking about going to Google or going to Amazon or going to Facebook. Right. And that's a very different uh, ambition than just saying we're going to get the guys and gals instead of going to like Ford or, uh, you know, Cruise or any of the self-driving mm -hmm. companies. And just that, well, what else would you want to do with AI inside of Tesla, uh, both the production side, as well as on the hardware side of being able to have the efficiency? So it basically sort of telegraphed to me that they're planning to drop NVIDIA hard um, and quickly because <laughs> they have hired folks from AMD to build out their chips. And then to yep. say here, to, to, to have a statement that like, and I'm quoting, this applies to both software and hardware. Like that's unequivocal. They currently have right. made no hardware AI moves on their own. And they've said, we own the software stack for autopilot now. They've dropped Mobileye, which is both software and hardware. And mm -hmm. now they're saying, we're going to also move into hardware. So that matched with like this other thing where he said, uh, on this concept of future hardware, someone asked him, we'll get to it, like, but uh, is what's shipping in the cars now going to be able to do full autonomy? And he said, yeah, we're going to have more to say on the hardware front soon. We're just not ready to say anything now. But I feel very optimistic on that front. And then at the end of that quote, he also said, but I feel confident of the competitiveness of our hardware strategy. I would say that we are certain that our hardware strategy is better than any other. And then he paused for a long time and they said, by a lot. It was a long pause. And he said, a by a lot. Pause. <laughs> so I think they've got some really interesting hardware stuff brewing. And my, my hunch uh, is that that's going to come out with the Tesla truck. Um, because that... With the semi? Or yeah, the semi, the yeah, the semi truck. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that's actually going to ship for at least two or three years. Um, and so I think they're going to drop a bomb about what's going to be coming with that. And that may be... Uh, some new some new hardware uh, chips that will eventually move away from NVIDIA. So my I guess my understanding of the the cost of those chips is that it's relatively low in terms of the cost of at least Model S and Model X. It's in the few hundred dollar range. Is that correct? Yeah, I think for the new ones it's a couple thousand dollars, but for the super high end one that that um, the new Pegasus chip that NVIDIA is talking about that one of the analysts asked about that was like 10 times faster, uh, like yep. 30 terabit, uh, uh, petabit, um, that that chip is basically like five or $6,000. So that's like infeasible. Um, yep. And then if you look at sort of what Google's doing with their TPUs, which are basically like super dedicated chips just to doing uh, the types of processing for neural networks, that those are like dedicated hardware. And that's probably what Tesla is going to be building is just some super dedicated chipset uh, for doing these calculations inside the vehicles at really low power. So um, I, th I think they're going to have something relatively soon because I don't even think they would start dropping hints about this. And, 
and obviously Elon loves hinting at things, but um, <laughs> to put it in ink means more people than just him had to see it. Because when he's on these conference calls, he can say whatever he wants and he can't be really stopped. But, to, right. but this was in the, the, the letter. So that's what made me perk up a little bit more. Um, so those yeah. are a couple of things. And then two more things. One was on new features. Um, you know, there was, there's a quote and tweet that's always been going around recently of like, I think it was one of the guys from Business Week asking Elon many months ago, when will some of the features from uh, full self-driving start uh, <laughs> diverging from autopilot as it exists today? And he said, three months, uh, most likely six months, definitely. And that was yep. like months ago, that deadline. That's become a meme. Now, exactly. I think, sadly. I, yeah, I see that on all the forums and Reddit. It's like three months, definitely, or six months, definitely. <laughs> so, um, it seems, and in last quarter, they said that it's been harder than they expected uh, to make the transition. So last quarter was still sort of this, oh, it's so hard, but we'll eventually get there. This quarter, uh, the, the tune has changed. It said, now that mm -hmm. the foundation of Tesla Vision Neural Net is right, so that alone makes it seem like they feel like they've hit something that now is sort of locked in. Yeah, which was, I think that may be the best news in this. I, I know I said good things about Model S and Model X, but that sentence right there might be honestly the best news in this in this letter. Right, because we've been waiting for them to move beyond just basic autopilot functionality. Yep. I mean, it's been over a year since the last that since the hardware update, and back then Elon was like, "Oh, it'll be until this. It'll be three months till we reach parity." Yep. And it's been nine months longer than that. And so people have been like, what is going on? When are you going to release some new feature? Like enhanced autopilot functionality has been like talked about on your website and nothing has happened. And now it sounds like they're really there because then he says, the letter says, which was an exceptionally difficult problem as it must fit into a far less computing power than is typically used. We expect a rapid rollout of additional functionality over the next several months and are progressing rapidly towards our goal of a coast-to-coast -coast drive with no one touching the controls. So, you know, they're not reaffirming end of the year for their year-to-year. <laughs> it, won't, year -year. Yeah, it won't be That's not going to happen. Sure. <laughs> but it does sound like some new enhanced autopilot or some, you know, part of full self-driving, a tiny piece, will happen before the end of the year. And that, you know... I think that's great. I, I'm excited to hear what that next feature is going to be. Probably automatic lane changing. We've heard some rumors of that. Yep. Um, possibly taking exits or the maps, high definition maps coming online to, to start doing better um, point to point. But uh, I think that was, that was great to hear that they sort of feel like they at least can move on to the next challenge, which is like new functionality versus just core recognition. Um, because Elon said, like, the neural network for vision is sort of the primary thing they have to solve. And if they don't have a good architecture for that, they're kind of screwed. And at least from anecdotal reports, the latest software version seems to have had pretty meaningful quality improvements. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I think this sentence alone wouldn't be as exciting to me if we didn't have that news on um, kind of the, I think it's 2017.42. Yeah, 42. It seems like, seems like that edition of... Um, Autopilot software has actually been pretty well received and people are starting to notice significant progress in terms of the the ability of it to navigate through turns and through intersections and things like that and just the smoothness of it. So it sounds like that kind of backs up these claims that they do kind of have this neural network right at this point in time. So um, that combined with this with this statement is, is encouraging. I guess the uh, less positive news about Autopilot was that essentially on the call, he said that... Um, 
He still believes that the current car shipping today and the Model 3 shipping will be able to achieve full autonomy. However, he thinks they may only be able to achieve full autonomy at the level of a human, which is not the same as he had said in the past. It, uh, he had said in the right. past that I think they believe the current hardware would achieve two times the level of a human, which would be pretty substantial improvement, and that uh, he's not sure that regulators will accept uh, just human level, and he doesn't think they know what they want either, which I agree with, but... Mm -hmm. Um, and that uh, it's basically a crapshoot as to whether or not you would actually be able to fall asleep in your vehicle um, legally with the Model S or X or Model 3 that's coming off the line today. But uh, for, for those who do purchase full self-driving, they will still be able to swap out the computer and they will do that. And it sounded like they would do that at no cost. But um, if you hadn't purchased a full self-driving package, you might be out of luck. Like you might have to, you know, I think you have to be very careful here. People will blow this out of proportion, but if you have not paid for that software update, Tesla is not on the hook to you for full self-driving because mm -hmm. you have not paid for that. If you pay for that feature, which is 3000 incremental above enhanced autopilot, they are on the hook in some ways. And it sounds like they will upgrade your hardware and potentially at a loss to them. And they may find out later that it's going to cost them, say, an extra $10,000 to do full self-driving. I wouldn't be surprised if that feature gets more expensive in the future for these existing vehicles. And that new vehicles come out with a new hardware suite, you know, in half a, half a year, one year, that is substantially better and more capable. So I would say that for many people, and I, would, I was expecting this myself, if you're buying a car now expecting you're going to be able to put on the Tesla network, and not be in it. I don't think that's. Uh, I, I would put that at like a ten or fifteen percent confidence that that's possible. Yeah. But I do think you will still have massive convenience features. I think you should still expect to sit behind the wheel, and the car might do almost everything, but you'll just have to monitor it. Mm -hmm. That I think will still be perfectly legal. It just won't be get in the back of the seat and fall asleep. Right. And we might end up with something like a geofenced area in only certain weather conditions, things like that, where it's not truly level five, but more of like a level four type of situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is going to be like California is going to be pretty well laid out. Nevada <laughs> will be pretty well laid out. Uh, you know, no snow, no rain. Um, yeah. And he already sort of started hinting at that on the call of like there'll be certain areas and, um, you know, it's not not all weather. And so. I think people, like we've talked about this on a ton, it's just so confusing, but it's, it's tough because Tesla wants to portray that they're going to get to this eventual vision, but they're going to have all these cars and all these owners that won't be on the latest thing that they're shipping. And they have to figure out how they want to deal with these legacy customers. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be perfect. And I don't think it's going to be what a lot of people expect of you know, they were promised level five and I don't think that's actually going to happen for many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would just prepare yourself that if you're thinking of buying a vehicle, like for me, at least when I'm thinking about the model three, I'm like, Hmm, I think I'll get some pretty good highway functionality out of this thing. Yep. And then in three years, I'll get the new one and that will have even better, uh, city level stuff. And then maybe three years after that, I'll actually have a vehicle that could do full self-driving. So for me, I really think about it as like, three or four hardware generations from where we are now um, to get to like 
I'm not in the vehicle and it's doing pretty much everything I need in my life uh, mm-hmm. where I live. But um, I still think it's going to be w- wildly f- ahead of what most people have access to in a vehicle they purchase. So I don't think it's like Tesla is behind. It's just, it's still so unknown. I mean, no one really has this figured out. Even Cruz and Waymo, no regular consumer can get in one of those vehicles. So it's still so far away. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't, I don't really know how to feel about this. I feel like Elon's very focused on the first principles, you know, obviously from physics, if a human can drive with essentially two cameras, a, a vehicle should be able to drive with eight cameras. Right. And additionally, the the vehicle has ultrasonic sensors and radar. So I, I guess from my perspective, aside from the computing power, which they know they made upgradable just in case it's not enough. Um, I don't know what technical limitations they would they would still have to be able to achieve something like that. That being said, I'm not sure that they will. I just from a purely technical point of view, which is certainly not my area of expertise by any means, but it it seems like it would be possible. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just to like as he's always said, like to what level of safety, right? So, uh, an airplane has at least two engines um, because one can go, and I'm not sure they have redundant brake. Uh, pistons yet. I don't think they have redundant automotive uh, steering yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they only have one radar. So I think like the fail operational case for the Teslas right now is like pretty weak that like mm-hmm. if anything is failing, it's going to have to pull over. And that just may not be acceptable to regulators. And I also agree that like from a sensing point of view, they clearly have like the visual acuity to do better than what a human has, but the sort of logic of figuring out how to merge in and do the mapping and be able to perceive and do all that simultaneously, I still think that it's very possible that the the cheat of having more sensors will still be a faster route and right. they might just feel more pressure to sort of cheat a little bit. And it's not it's like not bad, like cheat is sort of a, an aggressive word, but it's just like, it will make your life easier uh, to have more sensors. And that's why clearly Waymo and others who have unlimited budget for each vehicle to put pretty much whatever they want. And they're choosing to put a lot of other sensors. I don't think it's required. I think long-term it won't be required, but if LIDAR was as cheap as cameras, I don't think they wouldn't put, I think they would put them right. on there. Yeah, so it, it isn't like, uh, they feel like it's a dumb technology like hydrogen fuel cell. It's just that it's too expensive and given more redundancy, they would. So I think this is like the minimum set. Like, I think it's possible, but given where they want to go and what their engineers are actually going to be able to pull off, they may choose to like... I would say this. I think hardware will advance faster than their software team will achieve what they think they can. And therefore, hardware will get better and they will add in more hardware to cars. And the software team will then take advantage of those new sensors, which will cause the older cars to not meet the levels of uh, autonomy that the new cars will. So it won't be like out of malice. It will just be like, well, we have more headroom in these new vehicles that we're shipping. So we're just going to optimize for that. And we can do it more quickly that way. Yeah, exactly. The same way people are like, oh, my iPhone is so slow now running iOS 11. Mm -hmm. It's like a three-year-old iPhone. It's not because Apple's making your phone slower. It's because their software engineers are optimizing for the current phone. And 
your older phone is not as right. fast. So that that's actually more how I think it'll play yeah. out. But no, I think that makes sense. If we can walk it back though to just kind of like the the statement that they made on the call and just I th- I think one of the disappointing aspects of the statement was Elon was previously saying 2x of what a human could do. Yes. And now yes. he's he's kind of subtly walking it back, maybe not intentionally, but I've found I have found some value into kind of reading into those subtleties in terms of when Tesla makes statements or when Elon makes statements. And he's now just saying equivalent to a human driver. And that's definitely um, a a decline from what he had previously said. So it it sounds like he's losing a little bit of confidence in in the autopilot two hardware and software combination. And coupling that with the potential update to some hardware strategy that we may hear about shortly. Um, it doesn't really bode well for, for autopilot too. I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I don't think that's like reading too much into it. And Elon tends to be pretty precise with the numbers he uses to describe Mm -hmm. the likelihood of things. Like even with SpaceX, he's pretty accurate about those numbers. So even though he tends to be kind of bombastic about his future predictions, when he's talking about something, he's like, he's thought about it. And then he has clearly changed from 2x to 1x. And I think this is softening the ground for, well, these vehicles could run the software, but we can't get regulatory approval, so I can't ship it. And he's always said they will not ship software that won't be legal. (laughs) And so I I would expect that we're going to hear potentially on a future call that we have a new hardware suite shipping on Model S, X, and 3, and this is what we think is going to have, and here we have this new hard software, and uh, it would technically run on these older vehicles, but regulators wouldn't approve it, so you need to bring it into the service center, and if you've already paid for full self-driving, we'll update it for free. If you haven't, it's a $5,000 upgrade, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe in six months or a year, that'll happen, and we'll get to see if that's what happens, but... I agree. I think he's soft in the ground. I would generally agree with that. I think that if we do consider a situation like that, though, I do think that Tesla's going to do everything that they can to make it right to their customers. So even if you don't pay for full self-driving now, I think that they're going to do what they can to provide it to you probably at cost. You know, I, I obviously can't know that for sure, but just based on Tesla's past actions, they do really seem to care about that customer experience and really care about, um, how they're treating their customers. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by a situation like that. Like if you've already paid for it, you get a free upgrade. If not, you're paying the $3,000 that it costs them for that GP or whatever it is. So, yeah, I agree. I think they'll do I think they will be like, well, who can we support and how much do we have to charge to make it possible? Where yep. with autopilot one, he was on Twitter saying like, look, if we could do it, we would, but like literally we'd have to rip out the wiring harness, which would mean we have to exactly. like strip the vehicle. And at least this time, even from day one of Autopilot 2, he said, if we need to update the compute, which we don't expect we'll have to, but we can. And right. I also agree that I think computing is probably the biggest bottleneck, at least for a lot of functionality. So, Right. At least for like a level four type of situation. Yeah. Or at least for like, even, even if you have to still sit behind the wheel, because I think in a lot of places, you're still going to have to sit behind the wheel for a couple of years uh, from where we are now. So I think the other thing I have to think about is like, well... For many of the buyers who are buying the cars now, three or four years of ownership is kind of what we have to worry about. And then beyond that, it's sort of the next owner's challenge. So um, 
So moving on uh, to the main event, uh, we're an hour in, um, <laughs> Model 3. So I'm curious, um, I think a lot of people who are listening have probably heard a lot of the news, so we'll, we'll recap it a little bit, but I think very few people probably have listened to all of the earnings call uh, and read the letter. So, yeah. and had time, we've had some time to digest this because we're recording a few days afterwards. So what did Tesla change? What's different yeah. now than before this earnings release came out? So the biggest news is that we did get an update on kind of their production targets. And previously they had been targeting 5,000 per week sometime in Q4. Most of us thought that would be in December, wisely, I think. Um, they have now moved that production target to sometime late Q1. So yep. read March or beyond from that. Um, so it looks like we are facing probably at least a three-month delay in Model X production, or sorry, Model 3 production, from what they had originally been targeting. Um, they did, however, update the delivery estimates for first production Model 3s after the earnings report came out. And those delivery windows did only sh- um, shift by one month, which is kind of in conflict with the three-month delay that they they have here. So it, it appears like they're somewhere between one month and three, month, three months behind um, in terms of Model 3 production right now. Yes. And I think the other piece was this like 10,000 unit per week. Um, Mm -hmm. So previously they had been targeting 10,000 per week at some point in 2018. And Elon very specifically called this out in the last quarterly earnings call that people should have zero doubt that they would achieve that at some point in 2018. And he even reiterated it. He said, I mean zero. So he was extremely confident that at some point in 2018, they would achieve that. So based on his confidence, it seemed like they would be targeting something probably in the first half of 2018 to get to that level of production. Um, They've now kind of reduced their language there as well. Um, Similar to what we saw with autopilot, they're kind of walking back on, on those claims. And they're now saying at some point after we, after we reach 5,000 per week, we will continue to scale up to 10,000 per week. And there's no longer any sort of date attached to that, that 10,000 per week um, at this point in time. Yeah. And uh, for me, that that was one of the bigger communications PR fails of last time and this time, because I remember calling that out and talking to Mike like zero doubt. That is a bold claim because you're making a statement a year and a half out about what you're going to be able to produce. And I think one of the things that he's talked about in the past is like, look, we can't predict what the S curve how that will map to the calendar as it happens, but we know where the end state is. So if you ask me where will Model 3 production be in a year, I can tell you that with a lot of confidence. If you ask me where it's going to be in a week, I don't have much confidence. So I feel like he kind of extrapolated that out to be like, well, we need to get to 10,000. We're going to do this first 5,000, and then we'll spend another $2 billion or a billion and a half dollars, and we'll get to 10,000. And of course we can do that in a year and a half from where we are now, because I already see a path that will be at 5,000, uh, beginning of the year. So a year to get from 5,000 to 10,000, of course we can do that for sure. Right. And the pro- the problem is he made that statement before they actually were producing <laughs> on their production lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's frustrating because as both like an observer and someone who is like paying attention, it's like you had issues with model S ramping and you had really big issues with model X. And then you come out and say, model three is going to be different. 
we understand mistakes we made in the past. Believe us this time. We're going way more automated. We've got our best people on it. We're a much better company now. We've done this twice before. And they're going to still end up at 10,000 at some point. Like, Mm -hmm. I believe the demand is there. So that's not the problem. That's not the issue. And when you zoom out, it does like as an investor or as a, you know, someone interested in the company, you know, in 2020, where are they going to be? Yeah, no problem. They could, they could be at 10,000 if they really want to. And that's where they're, if that's what they're targeting, they'll get there. Just like with model S and X, they've eventually gotten to that hundred thousand a year run rate. It's fine. But it hurts their credibility so much to, to have Elon make these statements and then not be able to back them up with what's going to happen. And, and the problem, I think, is that he just doesn't really care that much about Wall Street and no, really totally. wants to mo- motivate the team. And putting these aggressive timelines creates such anxiety and pressure on the team to work harder and faster that he probably, and I think you've mentioned this in the past, he probably gets ahead of where he would have been otherwise but it's just so unusual for a public CEO to make statements that just three months later have to be so wildly adjusted. And especially on such a high, you know, uh, visibility project that it doesn't really matter that it's a couple months later right. and we don't now have visibility. It's just that he makes these statements that don't help Tesla as a company like PR wise. Right. It's just a credibility issue. And obviously there's already, that's already an issue for Tesla and Elon, um, because he does make these, um, aggressive targets and these bold claims, which helps motivate his team to work harder to meet those public deadlines and those public targets. So that's to your point, I think it does produce better results, um, than where they would be without those aggressive targets. And that's why Elon does do this. Yeah. Um, this one personally bothered me a little bit more than even more so than moving the 5,000 per week from December to Q1. Um, this one bothered me more than that because the, I've, I have never really heard, I've followed Elon for quite a while now, and I've never really heard him express that level of confidence before. Um, on anything, he he'll make claims, but he doesn't reiterate them, and he doesn't say zero doubt. He usually provides some sort of disclaimer. So for this, I was actually pretty bought into that. I was I was thinking that they would, you know, they were pretty certain that they would be achieving that. I was probably more like an eighty percent level mm-hmm. <laughs> versus Elon saying I should be a hundred. And now now I'm to the point already three months later where I think there's a near zero percent chance that they um, are at ten thousand per week in 2018. So for that to happen over such a short period of time, it just it throws fuel on the fire for people that are critical of Tesla um, to just continue to attack them for their misproduction targets and things like that. And then when we extrapolate that into the future, when we think about like Model Y, they're just going to be facing this issue, facing this issue again in a bigger way because now they've done it with Model S, Model X, and Model 3. Nobody's going to be able to believe their targets with Model Y no matter how many times they say that this time is different. And of course it will be different, but there's going to be new challenges alongside whatever differences they make with Model Y too. They're they're going to try to make that more automated. They're going to do new things with the wiring installation and things like that. So there, there's going to be new things that are risks for delays like this. And because of those things, no one's going to be able to um, believe Tesla when they when they make targets because directly because of things like this. So that that does hurt Tesla um, in the long term. Yeah. And, and the, I think the important thing, and you pointed this out on your podcast as well, but 
There's a distinction between the Wall Street and investor community and what customers have to worry about. And so from the Wall Street community, like the important part about projections is that it helps figure out what kind of valuation you can put on the company because you can figure out how quickly they're going to grow. And you value them today at what growth rate you have some confidence they're going to achieve. Right. And if you don't have confidence in what they're going to achieve, then you have to be more conservative because you don't want to be ridiculous and make claims uh, for your clients that don't pan out because then you see the stock drop. Right. So they'll, they'll be more conservative, which will drop the valuation, which will make the stock price more depressed for longer. Right. Which makes it more difficult for Tesla to get funding to fund projects like Model Y. And at some point, if they surprise on the upside, which they haven't really done recently, they're almost always behind, um, they would see a pop in the stock, but they're still pretty far away from like being able to surprise us on expectations because right. they still have kind of behind. So, and, and the other challenge is it's like one of these things where you get ahead of yourself, it's hard to wind yourself back. Like, how, how do you go from saying we're 10,000 in 2018 to maybe what actually it's going to be is 10,000 in 2019? Like right. if you actually go to the more, if a Tesla comes out with the more conservative one, then that's going to be such an overswing back that people will be like, well, if they only think 10,000 in 2019, that must really mean 2020. Like it's kind of, it's extremely hard to break that problem. It's sort of like, uh, you know, any of these companies that put out earnings targets and you have to be like, hmm, are they overshooting? Are they undershooting? Are they undershooting a ton? Right. And it's very hard for any company to change the way that they put out those those uh, earnings, you know, because people won't change their opinion. So, yeah, I was actually thinking about this today, too, because if you think about Apple, that was obviously one of the best investments over the course of the last 10 years. They yeah. did a great job at this, too, at kind of um, under promising and over delivering very consistently. And what that setup sort of does, um, it, obviously, Elon uses this as a motivational tool for his employees. But setting that aside, what the Apple kind of strategy does is it really sets a floor on where the business is going to be. So analysts and investors have a lot of confidence that at least Apple will be at what they have guided to. And then they can kind of let their imaginations run wild to the upside and project things way, way more aggressively than um, what Apple might actually do. But if, if Apple fails to meet that, that's just somebody's projection. It's not Apple's guidance. Um, so next, next quarterly earnings, people can do the same thing. They can continue to let their imagination run wild and say, oh, they could have done this, this, and this. Um, and then Apple, you know, they'll beat by a little bit and things will be good. The stock will go up a little bit and that kind of continues and it's kind of a virtuous cycle. Um, and what, what Tesla is doing is they're kind of establishing a ceiling, right? So, um, people, people let their imagination run wild, but the, the cap of that imagination is, um, what Tesla has guided to, which is not, not good for the performance of the stock. And then when Tesla inevitably misses those targets, um, that again has a negative impact. So, it's there's there's different tactics to why Elon does this, um, and I think either side could be argued. Um, but but uh, it's it's just as an investor, it, it sometimes can be frustrating, especially around quarterly earnings when we're kind of reminded of the cash position and the profitability that Tesla has, and then again them missing missing these targets. Especially being one of the most shorted stocks, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a different situation when you have such a large percentage uh, relative to the total float available being shorted right. that you know there are going to be a massive amount of articles coming out from shorts who are going to use every bit of ammo from every release. And you're giving them, you're just giving them the opportunity 
legitimately Mm -hmm. to throw bombs at you. Like it just sort of shows again, like he, he is not managing this for wall street, uh, sort of stock price. And that's fine. Like that's that's his prerogative. And like everyone can operate against that. It's just a statement of fact. I think that like, you have you you basically cannot operate under the assumption that they op they they communicate to investors uh similarly to like most companies right and like their projections are almost always uh as you said like a ceiling and the problem with that is the floor is zero dollars slash out of business <laughs> right where with apple it's like well we're still gonna ship a crap ton of iphones it's just a matter of like what how, how many, many more how than that yeah right yeah. Um, a, a couple of things they pointed out that I just think were kind of interesting. One, you remember all those like claims, oh, all the, all the Model 3s are being made by hand. Yep. Uh, Again. Tesla PR certainly has heard about that right. because they put some videos of uh, seats being installed by robots and dashes being installed by robots, which in many car factories is not how it's done. They're sort of done by lifts with human assist, but mm-hmm. some car factories do have it automated, so it's not... It's not like, oh my God, no one's ever seen this done before, right. but it it does show that it's not, it, it, it certainly is true that at some point early on in production, lots of humans were involved, but that is not the end state. And I feel like that is a problem that happened with much of the reporting about Model 3 is there is a current state that has humans involved there is an end state that has far fewer humans involved to extrapolate that humans will continually be involved and tesla is making some strategic error by having humans is a flaw of reporting not of like tesla's design design decision like yeah and elon actually spent a lot of time at the beginning of the call calling out journalists for kind of their journalistic integrity and misreporting of things it was more focused on the recent firings at fremont yeah um where they had fired 700 workers or so after annual performance reviews elon reiterated that that's like two percent of the workforce to be fired after performance reviews especially for a high growth tech company is well within the norm and probably even below the norm yet it got reported on in the media so negatively um, like Tesla's having these massive layoffs or something like obviously that's a bad sign for you know the state of the business and things like that but it's really just business as usual um, so Elon spent a lot of time talking about that and he's he's done this in the past it definitely gets under his skin and I think I think you're right that a lot of that is driven by the amount of short interest there is in the stock and I also think it's may, maybe less nefariously also driven by just the the impact of negative headlines versus positive headlines um, that's just kind of the society that we live in nowadays is that a negative headline is going to drive more interest to the report than a positive headline. So I think people um, tend to look for those negative headlines to try and generate those clicks, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And he he did this as well a couple quarters ago with the Josh Brown uh, fatality mm-hmm. in, in Florida as well, right? Where he was like, look, if you're writing all these articles, where are the articles you wrote about the thousands of people who died this month from car crash car right. accidents before like why aren't you blaming gm and ford and honda for not having safety features that would have prevented these deaths that you clearly could have included that you didn't right. like and I, I think that there i see both sides obviously the media wants to get attention and press and they can and like views and they can do whatever they want like they can write whatever they want and if people are interested 
It's up to them to read it. Uh, but I certainly can imagine how frustrating it must be to read all these articles about how Tesla's firing all these people who, in his mind, if they if they legitimately were for performance, he would be like, these were not the best people. Right. Like, obviously, they're not going to be happy about it. And obviously, they're probably going to be more likely to want uni- unionization to protect their job. Like, I-, I can see why he would be so frustrated and has like a, a little bit of a general uh, distrust of how people report Tesla because they certainly get a disproportionate amount of press uh, as an automaker. Like they, they get way more articles. I do think it does benefit them in some way because they're getting a lot of free marketing from that. It may not be the most positive all the time, but in some cases that encourages people to look into the company more. So I don't think it's entirely bad. And I think Tesla does benefit it, benefit from it in some ways, but Overall, yeah, it is extremely negative, um, just net-net um, in terms of the sentiment. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess one of the other things that was kind of interesting, just digging in on the production problems, that it seems like it it, um, it is focused in the Gigafactory in the production of the modules, which is sort of step two of the battery pack. So you've got the cells that Panasonic makes, which seem to have been pretty okay. Panasonic has been a good partner so far, and Elon in the previous calls had sort of praised them and how good they were at at sort of planning Mm -hmm. for the Gigafactory and how they actually kind of helped them in, in planning. So that seems fine. So the actual little 2170 cells probably production is ramping as expected then you've got the final pack that gets injected into the car that seems to be okay what the problem is is that there are four modules of you put all those cells together into a little pack and then you put four of those together and then you get the big overall battery pack that you think of that two parts of that line uh, are having problems and elon sort of claimed that uh, one of the subcontractors they had, in his words, dropped the ball. Uh, He later sort of wanted to make it clear that it's their fault and his fault in particular because they're the ones who hired these folks and they didn't pay attention enough. Um, But that wasn't reported nearly as much. Um, And ultimately, he was like, well, we kind of rewrote all the software in four weeks and we redirected all of our engineers who could help on this. And uh, we feel like we have pretty clear visibility into what needs to be done. But he also made it pretty clear, at least from my listening to the call, curious what your take was, that it's not solved, um, that it's still got weeks to potentially a month or two to get sorted. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like there are physical hardware things that need to be delivered from other suppliers, that it's not purely an internal Tesla thing that they could just fix and, you know, tomorrow, Mm -hmm. if they figured it out, could start running. So it... Because he also did not give a run rate of production right now, and that was a little concerning. I think that's a bad sign for the short term. Um, I would agree the the problem is not resolved. I do feel like they have a good understanding of it now, though, Um, which I think is why Elon's saying that he's a couple of weeks ago, he was feeling, you know, pretty bad. He was saying that he was in the, in the ninth circle circle of hell, which we finally got some clarification on that. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like he meant that as the worst and you work your way up to level one, which I guess would be um, inverse to kind of like how Dante does it in Dante's Inferno. Um, so sounds like Elon didn't quite have a full understanding of, of how that works, but he was viewing the ninth as being the worst. Sounds like they're now in the eighth. Um, and he said they can see a path to the seventh and from there he's seeing a path to sunlight. So I think that they start to understand the problems now. 
and it sounds like they're still knee deep in recoding the software for this production process. Um, and it does sound like they need to adjust some of the actual hardware. I think they mentioned some, some electrical systems in the, um, assembly line as well. So it sounds like they, they understand what they need to do, but they just haven't quite done it yet. Um, and of course, when you have not quite done it yet, there's still potential that something unexpected may occur. So I think they're, they're feeling okay about it right now, but there still needs to be the actual progress needs to happen. Yeah. And uh, so for context, they had said in the letter that battery pack assembly, which would take those modules and put them into the full battery pack, the body shop welding, which is one of the most complex parts where they take all the raw parts and weld them together. And then the final vehicle assembly where they put the seats in and they put the dashboard in and the wiring harness, that those are sort of running uh, or have the capability of running at 500 vehicles per week Mm -hmm. that they have. Another level that is further ahead of the drive unit, the seat assembly, the paint shop, and the stamping of producing those metal parts uh, can be run at around 1,000 units per week. So, you know, the still the minimum is 500, but to know that some are at least at around 1,000 means that those are at least not like their number one concern right now. So yeah. that, that sort of puts a, an upper bound of 500 per week, which clearly the battery modules are not at because they would have produced a lot more. I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to that until at least probably early parts of December. And what was interesting too was Doug Field, their head of VP, the VP of engineering was on the call and he was talking about how like the the welding unit was coming on pretty well and that was in the mm-hmm. 500 unit bucket, which is just kind of interesting because uh they also called out that those were burst builds, which means you could do that at like a day, like for a day. Or even and less figure than a out, day, honestly. Yeah, or even less, right? It's like what, what the, the cycle time is, is yep. it fast enough? Which doesn't mean it could actually run without going down. But right, anyways, right. um, I think it's like, okay, we could kind of expect that maybe they could get to 100 or 200 per week relatively as like the next grouping. But nothing is near, nothing was at, more than a thousand per week, right? So they have to at least max out to a thousand before they start pushing towards that five thousand. So it was just sort of interesting that none, nothing is being run at the five thousand per week level yet. So mm-hmm. so even even the sort of best of breed in the production line right now is not fully up that curve. And the problem in my mind is that those are not getting pushed right now. Those like the the energy is focused on the worst performing part which means that the entire curve has to be pushed out because those are not running at 1000 per week to then figure out how to get them to 2000 and 3000 and 4000 and 5000. Right. So it's just like e- even every week delay is more problematic now because they were expecting to be in the steep part of the ramp and uh, it's, it just creates I, more potential for delays in yeah. other parts of the process later on even, as they continue to ramp those up. Even if everything else goes as predicted, that's the problem right. is everything keeps going as predicted. They still need the time that they would have had to ramp, uh, that they had built in. So everything just gets pushed out and it's just going to be, and, and, and also I don't think that means the vehicles coming off the line are subpar at all. I think those are clearly being checked incredibly. Um, and I think those vehicles are probably of extremely high quality. Yeah. All reports uh, except, so far have been pretty, pretty positive on the, on the quality so far. Right. So it's not like they're rushing them through and they're bad. It's just that they can't put enough vehicles together at the rate they wish they could. Yep. And it also sounds like many of the suppliers are probably 
if anything, this gives suppliers who are behind a chance to catch up with their own production tooling and everything. So it, it may be that some of the things that would have been hairy dragons uh, that would have hit because other people weren't ready, they get to sort of catch up and finish their work because other problems are more pressing. Right. Um, but to your point, I think there, it's unlikely that this is the only thing um, because they're only at a thousand max. So five X on everything else and 10 X on some of them. I, j- I don't think that that could be expected to be a linear, like, Oh yeah, just run it 10 times faster. No problem. Yeah. So this is interesting. Cause this kind of conflicts a little bit with something that they said on the call, which was that they found some of the production processes. I don't know if they said that they were capable or that they thought that they would be capable of production in excess of 5,000 per week. So right, they had mentioned yeah. some, some pieces they thought could ramp up to 7,000 per week. And that yep. was, that's probably something that we should have mentioned on the 10,000 per week conversation. They had good reasons for delaying that. And that's one of those reasons that's, that they're finding these production efficiencies as they scale up production, um, which is making them question if it, if it makes sense to ramp up to 5,000. And then, as you said, spend another two to one and a half billion dollars or whatever it is to kind of like duplicate the line. If they're able to get that line running more efficiently and they can ramp up that same line to 7,000 per week. Um, they're going to do that instead because it's more capital efficient. So they do have good reasons for delaying that. Um, but it just, it still is a question though. Yeah. And one, one of the points there, um, as we sort of wind down, that was kind of interesting. So as Elon's talked in the past, he's talked about like manufacturing efficiency and they want to be the best manufacturer in the world. And he's talked about popcorn machines. And if you have the best popcorn machine, you're going to you know, crush everyone, um, that he typically has talked about like the rocket equation of, uh, sort of the efficiency of space, um, and volumetric density. Uh, but this time he decided to move to a different idea of speed. And, uh, his quote was, I think speed is the ultimate weapon when it comes to innovation or production. And we are pushing robots to the limits in terms of the speed that they can operate at and asking our suppliers to make robots go way faster. And they're shocked because nobody has ever asked them that question. It's like if you can see the robot move, it's too slow. We should be caring about air friction, like things moving so fast. You should need a strobe light to see it. Um, end quote. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean... I guess, I mean, that would be what I would expect, uh, given what I know about his ambitions with SpaceX that he would be trying to push towards. And obviously, if you want to be the best manufacturer in the world, uh, you know, car manufacturing, every time I watch those videos is like, hmm, that is really slow. When you watch like Coke being made or semiconductors being made or any other like candy or food, it's like wildly, wildly faster. So Clearly, it is possible to make things faster. And Elon is just like, why can't we make cars faster? So I think that is pretty obvious where he wants to take it. Uh, I think it's a little bit uh, misdirection to be talking about air friction problems on a conference call where they, you know, have to automate putting the battery packs together. (laughs) But it it shows his ambition and i think it's easy for people to see that in the negative light that he's trying to misdirect people uh, i don't i don't actually think it's a problem for him to talk about that i think he just genuinely mm-hmm. is interested in it and that's what's mm-hmm. on his mind but um it is it's interesting because one of the other things he mentioned is like we are trying to produce these vehicles in an automated way and paradoxically it means when anything is going wrong we actually can't make anything 
because we can't throw humans at the problem. And he was, you know, talking about this like bypass problem where they can't bypass uh, a part of the line easily. And I think we, Mike and I talked about this. It's like, if you're going to make a system that has a lot more software and a lot more automation, if it doesn't work, it's not going to work. It's not, it's not like a partial thing. It's binary and it's just not going to happen. And it's going to be even more dramatically broken until it's fixed. And that's what they're experiencing. I think it's predictable, but, um, and I think it will end up in a much better state. It's just, they're going to have problems getting there. And I'm just, I think it's a really fascinating thing because clearly there are dozens and dozens of car models rolled out every single year across the world that scale up to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of vehicle run rate per year. And those companies don't seem to get much credit for it. And Tesla is going from nothing on the Model 3 to trying to create this amazing production line and they're having a lot of problems and it's being very visible. And they've put themselves on a spot where they've started production. And so everyone gets to see the pains of them putting their production line in place. All these other companies are kind of smart and keeping it private and they don't tell anyone about it until the car is ready and they start production. And it's just a different approach, but it's what they're going to have to pay the pain for. And, you know, we've always said, like, of course, they're going to be able to figure it out at some point. It's not as if you can't make millions of cars a year. There's clearly lots of evidence that humans know how to do that. It's just hard. And if you haven't done it before, it's extremely hard. hard. Yeah, right. Right. And that's something that Elon talks about. He's like, I don't know why anyone would ever start a car business like sounds like sounds like it's just extremely difficult and when he details these problems i just sit there and i'm like man i'm glad i don't have to be involved in <laughs> fixing these yeah i mean i i do genuinely believe that they are working as hard as they can and they do have yeah. a lot of smart people working on it and so there's no no sort of belief that they're you know uh underplaying how difficult it is or mm-hmm. sure skirting their responsibilities i think it's just like it takes time to solve these things and there are limits to how much work you can get done in a day. And if you have lots and lots of partners, there's a limit to how much you can get done with a lot of partners in a day. And there are a lot, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who would want their car right now if they could have it and they can't yet, but they will eventually. And it's very hard to predict exactly when that will happen. But that's the most important thing is if the demand is there, they'll get the production. It's just a matter of time. Like, They've solved more challenging problems than this um, in the past. They'll continue to solve problems like this in the future, and it will get ramped up. People will get their cars, and people will love them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, where will they be in 12 months? Like, in 12 months, do you think they have this figured out? Absolutely. And then it's like, do they have it figured out in six months? Most likely. Do they have it figured out in three months? Hopefully. And that's it. That's all I can really say. It's like, hopefully... Most likely, like you should, maybe you should give guidance for Tesla. That yeah. would be just right in the top of the earnings. There you go. Great. It's like in a year, <laughs> where are we going to be? Yeah, we'll definitely be at 5,000 in a year. No problem. <laughs> Feel pretty good about that. So, um, investor relations with Tesla, I'm happy to help write that out. It's very simple. Um, and that, that might, you know, save you guys some, some time. Yeah. It might help with the stock price. Cool. Well, um, where can people find you, uh, Rob, if they want to hear more from you and, uh, yeah. stay up to date. Yeah. So as Caleb said, I do a Tesla podcast. Um, it's creatively named Tesla daily because I do it every weekday. So just search for whatever, um, whatever podcast service you're using. I'm, I should be available on. If I'm not, uh, let me know. Um, but you should just be able to search for Tesla daily, um, and find new episodes of that every weekday. I did do an earnings report, um, episode as well on Wednesday, on Thursday. 
Uh, so check that out. Um, if you want to contact me and again, if I'm not on a podcast service, just send me an email at Tesla daily podcast at gmail.com. Um, or I'm also on Twitter at Tesla podcast. Cool. And if anyone is planning to buy an S or an X, uh, the, you can now get free supercharging for life. Uh, and, uh, you can use our referral code in the show notes and on the website. Um, and, uh, that is, uh, courtesy of the uh, Tesla geeks on our Beck over there, um, who is on his way to getting a free, uh, Tesla roadster. So we're really excited about that. And we should be attending the, um, at least one of us attending the uh, Tesla semi-truck event, uh, courtesy of them. So it helps us bring you better uh, content for that. And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can go to the Tesla show on Twitter. Uh, the Tesla show.com, uh, is where you can find us on the World Wide Web. And if you're into Reddit, you can find us on r slash the Tesla show. So with that, thanks again. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining me and breaking down uh, the Q3. I think this might be one of our longest shows. And uh, <laughs> so that's awesome. And uh, hope to have you back on the show at some point in the future. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, Caleb. All right, thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye.